Morning, church. How are we doing today? I just want to start off with a verse that just came to mind while we were worshiping today. I don't know what you're going through this week. I don't know what things you're facing, but one of the things I've seen over and over again is that there's a lot of stuff going on in our world. I don't know what stuff you're going through today, but I just want to encourage you with something from God's Word. It says in Isaiah 41, it says, Do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I don't know if any of you feel like you let God down this week or you just dropped the ball. I love that picture of the fact that we're not holding God up, but he holds us up with his victorious and righteous right hand. And so today I just want to invite you, before we open up God's word, I just want to invite you to bow your heads with me. And if there's anything in your life that you just need to lift up to God, that you need prayer for today, that you need to just see a work from God or someone you need to lift up, I want to invite you just to raise your hand, both as a moment of surrender, as a moment of worship, because we serve the God that answers prayer, as a moment of just saying, God, I give this all to you, as a moment of surrender to say, God, I can't do this on my own. And as we do that, God, we come before you humbly and we say, God, we need you. God, we raise our hands right now in worship to say, God, you are the God of the universe. You are the king of the mountains. You are the Lord of lords. And God, we thank you for who you are. And so God, for every person that has their hand raised today, we thank you that you are holding us up with your victorious right hand. The battle is not ours. The battle is yours. And so God, any way that we, that people need to see a movement of you, God, I pray for a movement of your spirit today. That as we come boldly before your throne because of what your son did on the cross, right now we just put anything that we're bringing with us today, we cast our burdens before your feet. We say, God, it's all yours. We can't handle it on our own. God, we pray for a miracle. We pray for you to move. We pray for you to work. And even more importantly, God, we pray for you to work in us. God, anything that we are, are bringing with us today that would distract us from hearing your word, from looking more and more like you, help us to set that aside and just hear your word and hear your spirit speak today. God, I pray that it would not be my words, God, but it would be your words. And that even in the moments where I mess up, God, that your spirit would go forth and your word would go forth as your, as your word promises, that it will not come back void. So God, thank you for how you're working, how you're moving, and how you're going to move in us today. In your precious and holy name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Well, church, I'm so glad to be here with you today. I'm excited that we get to open up God's word and worship together. And as we do that, I want to tell you a little story I heard this week. There was this grandpa who was sitting around with his grandkids kind of hanging out and telling them stories from his past. And finally, he starts talking about his time in the service. And of course, you know, he, he has a, a grandkid who's kind of of that age where he asked the question that I'm pretty sure every single boy at one point in time has asked the person that was in the military. It's, that one, it's always in a boy's mind. If you were a boy, you probably remember it. All of a sudden, grand, grandson goes, Grandpa, did you ever kill anybody? Grandpa pauses for a moment and goes, well, when I was in the service, I killed 10 people. The, all the grandkids kind of stop for a moment and, okay, and they, they, they stop. And then all of a sudden, one of the, the granddaughters, who's a little bit older and a little smarter, goes, oh, hold on, Grandpa, hold on. Um, Grandma told me that during the war, you, you, never, you never got deployed anywhere. You actually stayed in the States the whole time. And she also told me you were an airplane mechanic. And he goes, yeah, very good one. 
I don't, have any of you ever had a job before that you were absolutely terrible at? Has anyone ever had a job like that? You were just like, eh, I was not good. Is anybody still in that job? Right? Do not point at me. See, the thing is, I don't know how many of you have had that where you just have a job where you're just like, man, I am terrible. For me, my big thing is anything that involves like being detail oriented, I really, really struggle. Like anything that involves like making sure little things are just right. That's why, man, every time that we have a plumbing project in our house that I do, like after about the fifth trip to the hardware store, there is this moment every single time, it's like clockwork, where I just freak out for a moment. And I'm just like, why is it still leaking? I've done everything. Like, I just, it's just one of those things that I just cannot quite get it right. And I think all of us have moments in, where we just have jobs that just will not quite go the way we want them to go. Because sometimes because we don't quite have the right qualifications. And see, in Matthew 22, Jesus kind of gives the qualifications or the goals for you as a follower of Jesus. He gives the job description in Matthew 22. He's asked by someone, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies saying, the first is like this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. We talked about that last week, that God doesn't want to have a dating relationship with you. He wants to have all of you. He wants to have a marriage with you that changes everything in your life. He wants a deep relationship. And then he says, the second commandment is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a pretty simple job description, but it's one that takes a lifetime of God's Holy Spirit working in us to really live out. But the thing is, this second part, I want to talk about this for the next two weeks. But today I want to talk about a phrase that I think we often ignore. It says, love your neighbor as what? As yourself. Have you ever thought about the fact that if you don't love yourself, you might have some trouble loving your neighbor? Like if you don't really love you the way God has created you, if you don't love you the way that God has gifted you and are using that gifting and walking in that, if you're trying to be like someone else, you might have a lot of problems in your life actually loving people. You ever thought about that before? See, the thing is, if you love yourself only when you do certain things right in life, and that's how you're going to love your neighbor. If you only love yourself when you look a certain way or you do things a certain way, or it's conditional the way you love yourself, or it goes up and down, then that's how your love for your neighbor is going to be. See, when we talk about loving ourselves, sometimes we think about it in a negative way. We think about those people who kind of love themselves a little too much. Like those people that, you know, if there was a fire with people in it, they would run in and bring out a mirror. Like, they're just, like, really, really in love with themselves. That's not what I'm talking about here. Last week, we talked about the fact that human love is kind of messed up. Like, it's, not, it's completely different from God's love. Today, I, want, I don't want to talk about loving ourselves in a prideful way, but I want to talk about loving ourselves the way that God loves us, the way that he intended us to be. So today, I want to talk about this a little more. I want to unpack this. I want to look at three keys to living out God's love through the way that we love ourselves. And the first thing we have to understand is this. It's the fact that God made me. In Psalms 139, it says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full 
well. Turn to someone around you and just say, listen, you're looking fearfully and wonderfully made today. God, David writes to God saying, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Which almost feels a little bit egotistical. Like he's praising God going, God, you are so good. Just look at me. I'm made. But that's because David had such an amazing relationship with God that he understood who he was in God and who he was not to where he could go, man, God, thank you for making me like this. Thank you for making me. You are so, so awesome. See, a lot of people, I think, go around doing the opposite. They go around going, you know, God, you're good, but man, I'm not. I'm junk. But God, you're, man, you're good. You wonder how often God's going, well, hold on, I don't make junk. How, how am I good if you're going around saying, you, you know, you suck all the time. If I'm in you, if you're my masterpiece, then you're good. See, it's amazing how many people live their whole lives almost trying to be something else. Like God's created them with gifts and talents, and then they're trying to be like everybody else. They want to look like this person. They want to look like this person they have the poster of on their wall. It's amazing how many people live their lives trying to be like something else and not who God's created them to be. There's a story of a lady who had a moment where she had cancer in her life. Doctor said it probably wasn't going to really be much longer. And so she just, yeah, she kept praying. Her, her church prayed with her. Her, her. her discipleship groups and her life groups prayed with her. And they prayed and they prayed. And miraculously, she was healed. The doctors were blown away. She has a second lease on life. And so she looks at her life and she goes, you know, I'm going to do all the things I always wanted to do. You know, I never really liked my hair, so I'm going to get a different haircut. And I never really liked my hair color. I mean, it's kind of a weird color, and I always wanted to have blonde hair. So she goes and she gets her hair dyed. And she goes and she, she goes to some doctors and she, she ends up getting some things, you know, kind of tighter in some areas and different things larger and different things bigger to get the dream body that she always wanted. And she gets just everything all perfect the way she always wanted. And after her last doctor's appointment, she steps out of the doctor's office onto the street and bam, she gets hit by a bus. Gets up to heaven and she's like, listen, God. I don't know what you're playing over here, but how are you going to go and save me from cancer and then I get hit by a bus? Are you kidding me? And God's like, oh, sorry, I didn't recognize you. <laughs> That's a stupid joke, but here's the thing. I think there's a lot of people who are trying so hard in their life to look like something else, this perfect version of themselves, that God's like, I don't recognize you. That's not how I created you. See, one of the things I found in my life is that I want God's blessing in my life, then I have to be me. Like, I have to be the me that God's created. I have to walk in the giftings that he's given me instead of trying to be like everybody else. You know, as a pastor, how, how easy it is to slip into that trap. Like, how many great communicators there are out there, and it's easy to look at someone else's church or someone else's style and be like, man, I wish I was like them. Boy, I wish I was good looking like that pastor. And you see some of these pastors that have like mega churches and they got the big muscles too and they're good looking and they're great speakers. And you're like, man, how come he kind of has everything? God's like, no, that's not how I created you. I created you tall and skinny and lanky and kind of a goofball. And I'll use that. <laughs> see, the thing is, God can't bless a fake or a phony. He made you to be you. 
He made me with strengths. And there's some things I'm not strong in, as many of you probably know. And God made me to use those strengths and not focus on trying to get better in the areas or to, to cover up these areas where I don't think I'm as, I'm as strong. We all have different giftings in life. I remember the day that I realized that, man, my dream of probably being an NFL quarterback probably didn't fit in line with the giftings that God had given me. That day was last week. But still, God wants to use me, my quirks, my personality, my strengths. The same for you. The way God has created you with your personality, with all your weirdness, all your goofballness, all your strengths, God has a plan and a way that he wants to use you. Now, obviously, we had to have a caveat to that because sometimes we, we live in a world where we say things like, well, this is just the way I am. Like, there's things in my life that God's like, listen, I made you, but there's some issues you still got to work on. You know, sometimes I look at my anger and sometimes I look at, you know, my life and I'm like, yeah, I come, from, I come by that pretty naturally. If you know who my dad was, it's, kind of, it's almost hereditary. Like, I look a lot like my dad and there's sometimes where I can just feel like, well, I'm just, just like my dad. God's like, no, that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse to do whatever you want to. The, the idea that God made me this way is not a reason to sin. There's some things we have in our life that are a result of the fact that we live in a fallen world. There's some things that we struggle with. But the fact is, God's not done with you. That's one of the things I love, is that God is continuing to make you into his masterpiece. It says in Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece that he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. The key here is that God created me, and that I was born into a fallen, sinful, depraved world where there are things that don't glorify God, that don't look like him, but thanks be to God, he's not done with me yet. I'm not out of the oven. And he's still working and shaping and molding me to eventually look like his son. And that's absolutely amazing. The key here is that God's doing that work, not me. But if I'm really going to love me, I've got to love the me that God created. I've got to see the gift that he's done in me and say, man, God, thank you for giving me that. Let me use that to glorify and worship you. We work best in our relationship with God and our relationship with ourselves when we're using the things that God has given us, when we're using what God has done in our life. The second thing is that we have to understand that God has an identity for me. God has an identity for me. We live in a world where identity is a really, really big issue right now. Identity is getting talked about a lot. And we live in a world where the idea of identity, it comes from I. Like it comes from the way that I feel or what I do or where I am in life. That's what my identity is wrapped up in. But God says in God's word, it's that God's identity or my identity comes from he. It comes from God and who he says that I am. In 2 Corinthians it says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. There, there was a book called Search for, The Search for Significance. It was really popular in like the 80s and 90s. And it's a book that I read when I was in high school, and it changed everything for me. 
Not necessarily because the ideas were new, but it was because in that moment, an idea finally hit me over the head and I realized so much in my life had come back to this one simple principle. I realized in that moment that my significance, who I was as a person, was completely and totally wrapped up in what other people thought about me. Like everything in my life, my entire significance was based on whether or not I had relationships in my life that made me feel like I was somebody. Whether it was dating relationships or friendships, I had all these things in my life and I realized I'd been running and running and running and running. And in that moment, I realized I was tired of running. I realized that God wanted to give me my identity and my significance and that's what would fill me up. That's what would stop the rat race of running after everyone's approval. There's a quote from the book I absolutely love. It says, because of justification, you are completely forgiven and fully pleasing to God. You no longer have to feel fear, failure. Because of reconciliation, you're totally accepted by God. You no longer have to fear rejection. Because of propitiation, the the fact that Jesus took our sins on him, we are deeply loved by God. You no longer have to fear punishment, nor do you have to punish others. Because of regeneration, You've been made brand new, complete in Christ. You no longer need to experience the pain of shame. The fact is that when we understand this, we can be confident in who we are in Christ Jesus. There's an amazing verse that I love in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul writes this. He says, such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are confident in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our confidence comes from God. He's made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, when you read that verse, there's this word confidence and this word competence, and they sound really similar. And I can see why some translations have gone away from that, because it frankly gets a little confusing. If you say those two words over and over and over again, you're going to end up messing yourself up. Confidence, competence, confidence. I mean, it's just, it's just they're so similar. But I love the way this verse says this, because I think what Paul is talking about here is the fact that in God's model of things, it's always different than the world's model. And when it comes to confidence in our world, the way we often get confidence is from our competence. Meaning this, right? right? If you you and I are going to go do something, and you're really confident that you can beat me in whatever this thing is, it's because you are competent in doing that, right? I'm sorry, Siri. Um, I'll try again. So confidence. I'm glad someone finally spoke up, though, and said when, we did, when people couldn't understand. I'm glad. It's about time. It's about time. So... So confidence in our world comes from our competence, comes from our ability to do the thing. I'm competent in this, therefore I'm confident in that I can do it. I'm, I'm competent as a student, therefore I'm confident that I'm going to do well on the test, right? That's all what our world is about. Therefore, when I don't feel like I'm competent, don't feel like I'm good enough, then I'm not confident. Does that make sense? Are we all on the same page? So, but then right here in the verse... What Paul is talking about is that he has confidence in Christ, and then his competence comes from God. 
He flips it. It's his confidence that gives him his competence. He's a, he's a minister of God's gospel. He's, he's competent in that because of the confidence that he has in God. See, in the world of God, your competence as a Christian, your competence as a believer, your competence as a minister and a missionary of the gospel, which all of you are, you all have a missionary field that you're on, it comes from your confidence in God. If you're trying to do this following Jesus thing by your own competence, if you are trying to be confident in your relationship with Christ because of what you do, because of who you are, because of what you achieve, because of what little things that you do that you think will please God, the fact is that's not how it works. It starts first with a relationship with God. The fact that he's the one that went to the cross for you. He's the one who took everything away. He's the one who's changing you through his Holy Spirit. And out of that, you can have confidence in what God's doing in your life. You can have confidence in who you are in Christ. You can have confidence in your daily life of walking with him, not because of anything you do, but because of who God is and our confidence in him. It's not about us. When we make it about us and our own competence and our own abilities in life, our identity gets all sorts of messed up. And what ends up happening is we often then find our identity in what other people think, what other people say. There's a quote that absolutely changed my life from a great artist named Lecrae. He said, if you live for other people's acceptance, you will die by their rejection. If you live for other people's acceptance, hoping that they will accept you, then you're going to die when they end up rejecting you. You know, there's a verse in Romans 2.29 that I love. Where Paul writes, and he says, no, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Now, it's easy to read over that because we go, okay, well, hold on. It said circumcision and Jew. Those are two things that I'm not sure if those apply to me. I'm not, I know that was you know, that thing back then. Maybe I'll just move on. Some of that's a little uncomfortable to talk about. But really what Paul is talking about here is if you want to be the chosen people of God, it's, he's saying it's not about these things that you do, these sacrificial moments that are sort of ceremonial. What he's saying is it's about the heart and it's about having a changed heart. And he says that this changed heart only comes from the Holy Spirit. And I love how it describes this heart, that a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. Maybe you're in a position where, you've, man, your identity has become so wrapped up in what other people think, or you have moments where you're like, God, I really want you to be my everything and my identity and my Lord, but then I find myself just wanting to please these people, or I find myself just wanting to be like everyone else, or I find myself just desperately wanting to fit in. Well, maybe it's time for you to pray to God, not that he would get you out of these situations, but he would just change your heart. God, give me a changed heart through your Holy Spirit that makes it so that I seek praise from you first and foremost and not from other people. It only comes through a change of our heart. So often I feel like many people, when it it comes to this, they, they feel like maybe they've disappointed God too many times. When it comes to living out this identity that God's given us in Christ Jesus, 
They feel like they've just messed it up so often. So then they feel like, man, I can't really walk in that because I'm not sure. Maybe I've disappointed God too many times. Maybe I've lifted other people's opinions above God's too many times. Maybe I've messed too many things up in my life. And maybe God's just done with me. And it's kind of like the moment the other day where I was out with my son. We're in the grocery store and he has a meltdown. He's crying on the floor. People are starting to look. So I knew how to do something. So finally I just get down on his level and I make eye contact with him. And I said loud enough for everyone in the aisle to hear, I said, hey, where are your parents? (laughs) Thanks be to God that God doesn't treat us like that. That God isn't just like, no, I'm done. Where's your God? That's not me. The fact is that we serve a God that no matter what, is going to walk with us and draw us closer to him. It says in Romans 8, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's some really good news. You can tell Paul really got into that one. He just starts listing things off. He could have just said nothing can separate from the love of God, but Paul just starts making a list. Because it's so important that we understand this. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And if you're living with shame or things in your past that are telling you, man, you can't live in that identity of Jesus. Man, everybody else, yeah, maybe they're saved, they're children of God and the holy people, but you, man, you, you just mess it up too much. You don't have to live with that shame. You don't have to live with that guilt. We serve the shame remover and the guilt eraser. Ephesians 1 says we can praise God for the glorious grace he poured out on us who belonged to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace, he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He purchased our freedom. It's already been purchased. If you're walking around with things that are holding you back in your past, just know your freedom has already been purchased. And also understand this, you will never outperform your wounds. Did you know that? No matter how many things that you do in your life, you may feel like maybe if I do enough right things, I'll feel like this thing in my past will go away, but only God can take it away. You can't cover up your wounds. You can't cover up your past, but God can And that brings me to my third point. It's that lies kill love. Did you know that? Lies kill love. Every broken relationship where someone was in a loving relationship and then it splits apart, it often comes down to a lie that someone's believing. The fact is there are lies all over that are trying to draw us away from God. Things that are affecting the way that we live our life. In 1972, there was this group of hunters who were in Guam, in the, in the, on the island of Guam. And they're going through hunting when all of a sudden, this is 1972, they come across a Japanese soldier who had been in the service during World War II. World War II ended in 1945, it's 1972, almost 30 years later. 
See, this Japanese soldier, when the Americans were coming into Guam, he had gotten separated from his unit and had gone hidden in a cave because he thought he was going to be captured, right? And he had decided to live in this cave, and he would come out from the cave every now and then, and he would see planes and American aircraft still flying over because there was still some activity in the area. And he believed that the war was still going on. So he hid in this cave for 30 years, fully believing that there was an enemy out there that was trying to capture or kill him. He so believed that, that when these hunters found him, he was actually quite malnourished. They tried to take him back to town and, and get him all fixed up. And he so believed that he was about to be captured and put in a terrible, dishonorable situation that he tried to grab one of these hunters' guns and shoot himself because he fully believed, no, you're taking me to the enemy of a war that doesn't even exist anymore. He comes back 30 years after World War II to Japan, and it's a completely different place. He lived in this deep, dark cave for years on end, malnourished, often dehydrated, often in a terrible situation, because he believed a lie. This lie that kept him hiding in the dark, kept him imprisoned, In John 8, it says, So he said to the Jews who had believed him, this is Jesus speaking, If you continue in my word and you are truly my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the truth will set you free. Do you know what the first lie in the Bible is? It's in Genesis When the serpent comes to Adam and Eve, and he starts speaking to Eve about God's rules for the garden. And the first thing he says, it doesn't quite seem like a lie at first, but it is. He he says, does God really say that? Do you guys remember that? He says, did God really say this? And it's amazing because you see that lie continued all over our world today. Even today, in in certain circles, there's conversations happening like, well, did God really mean that? Did God really say that? I mean, does God's standards still really apply today? Is the Bible still really relevant? It's a different time now. You know, we love each other, so it must be different. I've had some conversations with couples. I I had one a while back where there was this couple that we we were having a discussion, and, and it became pretty apparent that, Man, as I was talking about the standards of God's word, their standards for their life were a little different. And I love having those conversations because, man, I, I, I want to talk. I want to I hear more. I want to share with you what God's word says. But they were bringing up things about God. And every time, though, every time I would talk about God, I was going back to the Bible. Every time they would talk, their statements would start with, well, I think. Well, well, well I think God wouldn't want that. And I think God would be this way now. I think God changes over time, and I think he probably has adapted more to our culture today. Whew. You know, I said, I, I said this uh, as I was thinking about it later. I was like, man, boy, that, that sounds like a really interesting God that they've created. It would be interesting to meet him, but the thing is, that's not the God of the Bible, And that's what we like to do in culture sometimes. We like to go to build a God, 
and create this God of our own design and this God that fits with everything that our culture and society says. And then we try to fit the Bible into it. And that becomes a really big problem because the Bible is pretty clear. It says that my ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. That I am God, I do not change. And now all of a sudden we have this, this conflict. And that's what we're seeing a lot in our world today is people that have created their own version of God and are trying to fit the Bible into it. So then one of those things are having to get pushed out. The other, another lie that gets shown a lot in our world is the lie of, but does God really love me? Did God really say that I'm loved and forgiven? Did God really say that I'm chosen and accepted by him? Did God really say this? Did God really mean that for me? That's something a lot of times we can go to church and we can believe what the, what the preachers say and we can go, yeah, that's great. For God to love the world. But when it comes to living that out in our life and accepting that in our life, there's so many things that are trying and lies that are trying to come against our identity in Christ and saying, no, you're not good enough. No, no, you're still too messed up. Yeah, it's for good for everybody else, but not you. The fact is, lies will kill your ability to love God, to love yourself, and to love other people. The most important thing you can do, love a quote from Craig Rochelle. He says, you cannot defeat what you cannot define. You ever thought about that? You cannot defeat what you cannot define. You ever go to a recovery meeting of any sort, the first step is going, I have a problem. It's defining that there is a problem. And the fact is, you cannot defeat a problem or a lie in your life that you cannot define. One of the most important things I ever did was sit down and begin writing out all the lies that I believed in my life. All the lies that kept coming up and popping in my head. And it was so freeing to have it on paper. I go, yep, that's, that's a lie. Yeah, you're, you're not good enough. You've messed up too many times. You're just like your dad. You're just like this. You're just like that. You're just, you're just terrible. God can't use you. You suck too much, Tim. I just kept writing and writing and writing and writing so I could finally look at it and go, no, that's a lie. This is what God's word said. That's a lie. This is what God's word said. That's a lie. That's a lie. You will never be able to move forward in your life with Christ and move forward in loving yourself the way God has called you to love yourself and loving your neighbor the way God has called you to and having a loving relationship with God the way he's called you to until you fully understand what lies are coming against you. It's one of the most important things you can do. So in closing today, I I just want to ask this question, how do we truly love ourselves the way God's intended? Well, it starts first and foremost with spending time with the one who made me, the one who made you, spending time with him. Man, if you're not spending time in God's word, spending time getting into God's word with a life group and other believers in Christ and spending time in prayer with him, I just encourage you. It's one of the most important things you can do. And maybe if you're in a moment where you feel really dry right now, maybe that's the next step. It's just spending time with God, spending time with him. Maybe it's starting to try to understand what your strengths are and how God's wired you and start celebrating those strengths. And I'll tell you, one of the best ways you can use your strength is to worship God with them. How you worship God with them is by building his kingdom with those strengths. And there's things you can do all over the place. Maybe a place to start is right here in the church. There's so many places where you can serve and use the gifting and the strengths that God's given you. If you don't know how to do that, we'd love to help you. 
And finally, maybe it's time for you just to identify those lies in your life, those things that are holding you back from a fully and flourishing relationship with God. Whatever that is, I want to pray with you right now. And we just want to say, God, if there's anything in our life that's not of you, if there's anything in our life that is a lie, God, that's the world standard, not your standard, would you help us to understand that? And God, would you help us to fall more and more in love with you? And in that, God, would you help us to love ourselves in a healthy spiritual way that like we truly love us for the person that you've created us to be? And God, would you help us just discover who that is? God, we want to look more and more like you in everything that we do. God, you are so good. You're so gracious. You're so kind. You're so loving. And God, if some of us need to extend that grace to ourselves, God, help us to forgive ourselves for the moments where we mess up because you've already forgiven us. God, if we need to repent of anything today, just convict us in our hearts. Help us draw closer and closer to you. And God, we pray that we just worship you right now with all of our hearts. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Well, church, we're going to continue worshiping God together. And I just want to encourage you to worship in any way that God is leading you today. We're all going to have people up front that can pray with you when we pray for you in any area. We love you so much. Let's continue worshiping.